0: Click the top button. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I am about Welcome
1: back to oh, live. And I am shopping back here. Welcome, welcome. to us. Let's have you about today. I welcome all my viewers, and I am shortly from the two members. Glory to God. We are excited. So I want to take time to go so that he can introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his back. Hi Dr. Mancus, how are you? Good morning, good morning. Oh, good morning. I welcome
0: you guys? Don't worry about listening. Are you heard okay?
1: Can't you. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and what led you to be a board certified physician?
0: That sure. I'm hearing a lot of the background music. Right? Yes, we're playing
1: music
0: in the background. So. Okay. Well, uh, I am uh, re- recently retired and I was born in the Bronx in New York and uh, grew up in the Bronx in Queens and I went to uh, high school at the Bronx High School of Science and then I went on to um, the State University of New York in Buffalo and uh, eventually went into medical school, uh, both initially at the University of Brussels in Belgium. Then I transferred to Albert Einstein Medical School uh, in the Bronx, in New York. I uh, completed my training, uh, my medical schooling in 1977. And then I went on to do my uh, internship and residency. Uh, I, I should say, I graduated medical school in 77. Internship and residency uh, at Albany Medical Center, initially Montefiore and then Albany Medical Center, where I did my gastroenterology workshop. in the summer of 1983. And I remained at that particular hospital. I was gastroenterologist gastroenterologist, a number of other functions, medicine, ran a number of committees, and a number of other interactive positions over the years and uh, worked until
1: 2020.
0: Um, and now uh, with retirement uh, in my present status, I am looking to do things to occupy my time, among which have been uh, given the opportunity today to talk to Sandra and the radio community and the public about one of my favorite subjects in gastroenterology, which is my field of expertise for close to 40 years. And so, uh, we decided uh, Sandra and I, to uh, present a means by which I will basically give little uh, tidbits of information about this. It's not to be interactive in that I'm not uh, asking anyone to call me to ask me to go over their specific medical issues, of which many people have many, many questions, and that's understandable. Medically, we uh, that's not something I can and should be doing. So I'm going to just present an overview of gastroenterology. So, gastroenterology is a field which really began uh, in terms of being a formal field probably in the 1940s to 50s, and uh, over that time, uh, initially it was primarily a consultative field. Procedures were not being done hardly at all, and uh, the development of procedures endoscopy, colonoscopy, and all that uh, took place over from the uh, late 50s, early 60s, and by the 70s, colonoscopy was introduced, sigmoidoscopy beforehand, and now gastroenterology is a field that incorporates primarily in procedures and combined with clinical consultation. And the field has expanded since uh, there's a greater interest and in, in greater research in humanly invasive surgery. So many gastroenterologists are now doing things that no one ever thought could be done 10 years ago using scopes uh, and going into different areas of the body Uh, To uh, do various things, diagnose and treat things. So that's basically a field that's growing all the time. Uh, Happily, there are more and more women involved in the field, more and more minorities involved in the field, and the field continues to grow and encompass a number of different disciplines in the field. I anticipate and hope that in the next several years, nanotechnology, of which we have a center up in Albany, uh, will eventually be involved as well, as we get more and more microscopic and are able to do things on a very small scale to make big differences in people's health. So that's kind of an introduction. And I thought the next uh, period of time, maybe an hour, hour and a half, I can review with the readership or the radios, people, uh, the public, some of the interests in gastroenterology. So To think of the gut, uh, there are many different ways to look at the human gut. Uh, The first thing you wanna know conceptually is it's like a long tube. So it starts in your mouth and it goes down to your rectum. It's about 40 feet long and it contains in it billions and billions of cells, many different types of tissues and they all interact with each other to enable us to do and be all the things that we are. Uh, one can think of the gut as the internalization of the exterior world because there is no organ other than the skin that interacts with the outside world more than the human gut. So, our mouth. Uh, when we open our mouth, we have our teeth, our gums, our the lining of our mouth. You need me. We have, mm-hmm. in addition oh. to that, all the things that we put in our mouth, the food. Saliva, chemicals, uh, etc., and that has to go through our uh, gastrointestinal tract from the top all the way down through the bottom. So it has a major, major function, and it has to nourish us and protect us. Uh, there is no organ uh, greater than the gastrointestinal tract uh, involved in uh, immunological mechanism, which is to protect us from outside forces to recognize self from non self. So a vast majority of the immune system of the body, which protects us from outside things and helps us recognize outside, outside things is related to the gut. And that's an important thing to bear in mind when you're thinking about uh, everything to do with the digestive system. So the body has to recognize self from non self and protect us and the way. So we'll start off Uh, with the mouth first. And uh, I'm not a dentist, I'm not an oral surgeon, I'll simply say that in the mouth, besides the structures in the mouth, there are bacteria that live in our mouth. Uh, And uh, as one said, the dirtiest part of the human body is the mouth. It has the greatest number of bacteria uh, in a given area than any almost any other part of the body. So uh, these bacteria that live in our mouth, our gums, our tongue, the lining of our mouth, uh, we have a certain, how shall we say, uh, communication with them. We talk to them and they talk to us. And uh, I simply bring this up because one of the things that's been of interest to me over the years is the relationship of these bacteria and our oral health with our general health. And it turns out that For those of people who are interested, uh, the bacteria that live in your mouth and the inflammation in your mouth and your gums play a major role in your overall health. And in particular, uh, we're talking about the effect of these bacteria, the balance of these bacteria with your heart. And it turns out that coronary artery disease or blockages of the arteries in your heart, which is responsible for heart attacks and Blockages of arteries in the neck, which is responsible for strokes. This hardening of the arteries, which is one of the major causes of uh, morbidity and illness in the United States, if not the world, is believed in part to be due to inflammation. And I'm sure that the public has heard of the term inflammation. And so the question is what is driving inflammation that is the, uh, the bad uh, character in this whole thing? what is causing inflammation. And it's believed that one of the major sources for inflammation is the mouth and the bacteria that live in your mouth. And so oral hygiene, taking care of your teeth and your mouth is an important factor in being able to keep you well. And I urge people to consider going to their dentist if they can afford to go and have their teeth and their mouth and their tongue looked at and most importantly, have a dental hygienist clean their teeth, and people should brush and floss at least twice a day, because it's been shown that the health of your mouth and your gums play a major role in the uh, in the body, and particularly in the arteries that uh, give you nourishment throughout the body. So bear that in mind uh, in your overall health. Go see it. a dentist and dentist to have your mouth and your teeth looked at and brush and floss daily. So that's my advice there. Uh, and of course, there's so many much, much more to say about the mouth, the gums, and the teeth, but I thought that would be a beginning kind of place to start with when I gastroenterology, because everything starts in the mouth when you're talking about the gut. Then we're gonna move down into the esophagus, which is the food tube. The food tube extends from your mouth to your stomach. It's about a foot long, and it's a, also called the gullet, and the purpose of that is to deliver the food after you swallow the food uh, from, and chew it, and swallow it from your mouth into your stomach. The esophagus, uh, obviously, is a very important structure. Without it, we wouldn't be able to live, and uh, the esophagus, over time, has had increasing interest in it, because what appears to be something simple, like just simply delivering the food from your mouth to your stomach is much more complicated than we recognize. The lining of the food tube is protective against certain things that are in the stomach, and we're gonna discuss that in a minute. The food tube has muscles in the wall of the stomach, excuse me, of the food tube, to bring the food and propel it down from the top by your mouth down into your soft stomach. So the esophagus is a major and important structure in the body. And I just mentioned that there are diseases of the esophagus, of which there are many. And I'll leave that at that point. Let's mention the stomach. And before we get to the stomach, we're going to mention the structure between the end of the food tube and the stomach, uh, also known as the gastroesophageal reflux mechanism or the lower esophageal sphincter. So the food tube has two areas of pressure, one by your throat, which keeps what you eat from going into your lungs, called the upper esophageal sphincter, and the one at the lower end of the esophagus, by your diaphragm for the lower esophageal sphincter. And the function of that is presumed to be to keep the things in your stomach from going back up into your esophagus. And there are stretchful structures in both these areas that are designed to do what they're supposed to do, which is protect you. So we're gonna discuss briefly the lower esophageal sphincter, which is the area of pressure at the lower end of the food tube. It keeps the things from the stomach from going back up into the food tube. And as many of you have experienced, and you will do so as you get older, there's the good old term heartburn, uh, which of course has many definitions but primarily is felt as or perceived as a burning sensation in the chest and throat. And with time, we've come to realize that heartburn is a major concern in people, particularly as they get older, uh, and the understanding of what causes heartburn has evolved over time. Uh, The current concepts of heartburn is that the sphincter, this area of pressure, At the lower end of the food tube, it's not a valve, it acts as a valve, it's really an area of increased pressure, Uh, doesn't seem to work properly in certain people. There are factors that play a role. Genetics uh, play a role. If there's a history of heartburn in your family, you may have an increased risk of that. Obesity, if you're overweight, that might play a role. In addition to that, how you sleep. We know that if you lie on the right side in bed, that may increase the risk of heartburn. If you lie flat in bed, if you go to sleep on a full stomach, that may all have an effect on the bubbling up into the food tube of things that go in the stomach or stay in the stomach or are supposed to be in the stomach. We know that the stomach makes acid, hydrochloric acid. And that acid is there for many reasons, but primarily it's there to sterilize the Fruit contents that you've eaten. Because as you know, uh, the meat, cheese, and all the things that we eat, uh, have bacteria. And so we want to, the gut helps to protect us from dangerous things that we are consuming that we're not even aware of. And the acid in our stomach helps to sterilize or neutralize the toxic effect of some of these things as they pass through our body. So acid plays a protective role. It also is important because it affects the pH or the acid uh, environment, creates an acid environment in the stomach, which enables certain of the enzymes in the stomach, primarily pepsin, to work to be able to begin the process of digestion. Digestion starts in the mouth and then continues down through the GI tract. And the next organ after the mouth that's involved in digestion is the stomach. And Pepsin is made in the stomach and Pepsin plays a role in the digestion protein. Uh, so the stomach uh, plays important roles in our digestive process and in protection. I bring this up in part because of telling you a little bit about how the GI tract works and also recognizing that over the last 20 years, if not longer, there have been increasing availability of medications to affect people with respect to heartburn. Years ago, there was antacids, which are still around, thomas, roloids, myelanta, uh, Gaviscon, et cetera. Uh, and these particular substances contain things within them to neutralize acidity from the stomach and help to coat the esophagus, so to speak, Reduce the toxic effects of this reflux as it shoots up from your stomach into your food tube, uh, and so we are aware of that initial antacid. And after that, uh, in the 1970s, a British uh, doctor developed cimetidine or Tagamet, which was a drug that was initially designed to treat ulcer disease, but over years. Began involved in the treatment of reflux. There are four, three other drugs, Tepsid, Zantac, and Axid. And they all are what we call H2 receptor blockers. They work on inhibiting the effect of histamine, which is a, a chemical on the cells in your stomach, the parietal cells that make acid. And that's where we were until the 80s. And after the 80s, uh, using uh, information from Japan and Europe. Uh, there was a new set of drugs called the proton pump inhibitors, which came out. And most of us are exposed to these or know about them. And the most common one uh, is pylosec, uh, or uh, or meprazole. And this is the drug that was developed in the early 80s released or marketed. And that's the drug that revolutionized the treatment of reflux because Uh, this particular drug and other drugs like it uh, act to inhibit more definitively than the uh, H2 blockers, the drugs I mentioned earlier, the production of acid by your stomach. So if you have less acid, you make less heartburn, you have less heartburn. So these drugs have revolutionized the treatment of reflux disease. Unfortunately, uh, they're often misused and not it, not used properly, they're often given out like candy, and inappropriately. And like every, like we know, as Sir William said, the best time to use a drug is when it first comes out. So we do know that over time, many some uh, some side effects have uh, been associated with these particular medications, and that's something to bear in mind. Uh, and also, is the drug really necessary? So you may be given it after going to an urgent care or an emergency room or seeing a allied health professional, PA or nurse practitioner, or a physician. The question is, do I really need that? Why am I getting it? And how long should I be on it? And that, of course, is a complex subject. So I just bring that up. I will say that, uh, and I think it's appropriate to mention, that one of the major problems in gastroenterology in the United States, if not, developed world is a condition called Clostridium difficile. Uh, Clostridium difficile, difficile is a French word for difficult. And it refers to a bacteria that is present in our gut when we're little babies. And generally disappears as we get older. However, it does tend to come back in certain situations. And this bacteria can produce uh, protein toxins, which can inflame the gut. And so What we have is called Clostridium difficile infection. And this is a very common problem, particularly in people in the hospital or in nursing homes. And one of the things that drives this to occur is uh, certain medications and particularly antibiotics and also uh, drugs like the one I just mentioned, Pilozec. There's also uh, several other drugs in that class. of the proton pump inhibitors. And uh, Nexium is another one. Uh, and also, uh, I'm trying to trying to block the other names of several of the other drugs in that group. And so they're very good for treating reflux, but they do have side effects. And one of the side effects is they predispose to the development of Clostridium difficile. So uh, be careful if you're taking these drugs and to ask the people who are prescribing them to you, why am I on this drug? How long should I be on it? Is it necessary for me to stay on it? And are you, uh, am I to be aware of these side effects? And I mention that because Clostridium difficile has become a major problem in the developed world. And many, many people, particularly elderly people, people in nursing homes will develop severe infections with diarrhea, abdominal pain, fever, and potentially die from this clostridium difficile infection uh it
1: Doctor, has, sorry i don't want to um stop yeah. your flow but can you say slowly what that
0: the so drug is called clostridium C L O S D R I I U M difficile d-i-f-f-i-c-i-l-e
1: that's this caused from the GERD no no
0: yes it 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 clostridium difficile is an infection that develops in the gut. And one of the things that predisposes that occurring is, among other things, antibiotics, and also taking uh, proton pump inhibitors such as Pylozec. And just to be aware of that. So many people are taking antibiotics for all kinds of reasons. That's a whole other subject, is discussing the appropriate use of antibiotics, in my my opinion, often misused and overused, and many patients are not told about the potential side effects of antibiotics. Okay. Uh, and one of the bad side effects of antibiotics is they disrupt the bacterial population in your gut, which brings up the sec the second another subject that I think we can go into which is the microbiome. So over the last 30 years and we have become more and more aware of the microbiome. M I C R O B I O M E. This refers to the population of billions, if not trillions, of bacteria, viruses, parasites that live in our body. They live in our gut. We live with them. They live with us. And only recently, within the last 30 years, have we appreciated the importance of these bacteria primarily and other, uh, if you wish, uh, substances or uh, organisms that live in our gut. They call our gut their home. And they live with us, and we live with them. Uh, when things work out, we're not aware that they're there, and they are aware that we're we're with them. But we may not be aware of what they're doing to us. So the microbiome is going to, in my opinion, be the future of human medicine as we understand more and more how these bacteria and various other organisms that live in our body work uh, with us and against us. That will be an important part of our future. Uh, These bacteria and other, uh, if you wish, guests that live with us, uh, they interact with each other. They talk to each other, and they also talk to us uh, in ways that we may not necessarily fully are aware of consciously, but they do affect us. Diarrhea, constipation, uh, feeling bloated, nauseous. And so the effect of the microbiome on our body is remarkable. These bacteria and various uh, things that live in our gut have an effect on us and we have an effect on them. The food we eat, uh, our general well-being, our mentality, etc. Many of these things uh, are affected by these gut bacteria in ways that we don't consciously are aware of. So I, I tell you that, for example, it's been shown that mice that are overweight that eat the uh, feces or the stools of thin mice will become thin. So that's an interesting idea that the bacteria that live with us have that kind of effect on our, on our weight. So maybe one day, <laughs> to think about it, they'll take uh, a stool from thin people, clean it up, put it in a capsule, and you'll swallow uh, these capsules and become thin. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. an idea we could call that something else, eat blank, but I'm not going to say that term. <laughs> so uh, there's something to think about. It's yes. I
1: do have a few questions before you move on, doctor. Go ahead. Um, so um, how, ver- how important is it to have dental health?
0: Well, I think it's a, a crucial. In fact, my own one of my own doctors had told me, because he himself goes to the dental hygienist at least four times a year, and you go in and you see that you're not seeing the dentist, you see the hygienist who works for and with the dentist, and they pick away and clean your teeth, uh, the gums, and they uh, do all that because that reduces uh, the potential for uh, in- infection, inflammation in your body, uh, which is not a good thing because that may drive a hardening of the arteries, heart attacks, and strokes. Mm. So, I think it's very important that people do that, unfortunately. Uh, The cost of dental care is considerable, and that's a whole separate topic and a controversial topic because many people cannot afford the prices of going to dentists and particularly uh, oral hygienists. But that is something that I think is absolutely indispensable, and I recommend that everybody, if they can, at least go to see a dental hygienist, which is generally in the office of a dentist, to check their mouth, their teeth, and their gums
1: awesome um could you give us a quick overview on good bacteria versus bad bacteria cuz a lot of time we do like colon cleanse and then we destroy the good bacteria and we end up getting sick
0: that's a good point um i mean there are trillions of bacteria that live in us and there are many different form of many different types of these bacteria and what's been going on over the last several years is a number of scientists have been trying to catalog and categorize these bacteria, which ones are good ones, which were not, which ones are not good. Some bacteria promote weight gain, other bacteria promote weight loss. Um, As I said, uh, besides the individual bacteria, there's the interactions of the bacteria like a soup or a stew. They're living inside of us and they're all coexisting like the United Nations is made up of 140 or 150 countries and they're all on this earth and we're supposed to all be getting along. No, no, no comment about that currently, but anyway, uh, that's the situation. So we have to know which these bacteria, what are these bacteria? How do they interact with you? How do they interact with each other? And how do we get the signals about that? And there's a lot of intense research being looking, looked at that very subject alone. Uh, Many, many articles come out every month in many scientific journals that investigate these things. For example, the role of the bacteria in uh, colon health, the health of your large intestine, because the primary location of these bacteria are in your small, but mostly in your large intestine. That's where they live. So they hang out there. And so uh, we would want to know more about the conditions of the colon that may predispose these bacteria to be happy there or not so happy there. And so we want to know more about them. We know that as we go down through the GI tract from the stomach into the small intestine, into the large intestine, there is a greater number of bacteria. So in the stomach, things are relatively sterile. (coughs) because the acid in your stomach kills off almost anything that you've eaten in your food unless, of course, again, you're taking medicines like uh, Prilosec and Pepsid, which are drugs that inhibit acid. So if you have less acid, it may increase the likelihood of infections to get in through your GI tract. And that's been looked at repeatedly, and there's controversy about whether or not these uh, acid inhibitors uh, may predispose to more infections in the gut. Uh, And so I don't think anyone has the final word On that, But again, I caution people uh, because these drugs are given out like candy to ask the person who's given you the prescription. Why am I on it? How long should I be on it? And what are the major adverse reactions of these drugs? I don't know if that answers some of your questions.
1: Yes, it does. It does. It does answer some of my questions. Go ahead. Just want to give us an overview. um, The colonoscopy. Okay, when it's if you, want, if you want to go
0: down to the colon, so... Yes, the colon.
1: what's the age recommended to get a colonoscopy?
0: All right, so let me just... Uh, so the colon or large intestine begins over by the right bottom side of your body, your appendix. It's about a five-foot-long tube, and the purpose of the colon is to collect the products of digestion as the food goes from your stomach into your small intestine and eventually reaches the colon. And so the feces in the colon on the right side are liquid. And as they make their way across the colon, the colon lining absorbs the water in the feces. And then you have the urge to move your bowels when the stool has reached your rectum, which is the end of the colon. And then you defecate and pass the stool out. So that is the purpose of the colon. The colon not only collects the products of digestion, It also plays a major role in water conservation, because the colon absorbs a lot of water uh, from the feces on the right side as it first goes into your large intestine, on the five feet as it goes, the trajectory as it goes through the colon to get to your rectum. So you need the colon to help to conserve water. Uh, A lot of water is passed back into the body as the feces go through the colon. The large intestine is made up of a lining, and the lining of the colon is made up of cells like the rest of the body, and so over the last 30 to 40 years, the concept of colon cancer has become increasingly a public health issue, and colon cancer is one of the major causes of death from cancer in the United States and in the uh, rest of the world. And so a lot of intense research has been looked at as to what is responsible for colon cancer. Why does it occur? Who gets it? uh, What can be done to prevent it? And where are we with that? And so starting in the 1950s, uh, a German chemical called guaiac had been developed, which was using the peroxidase uh, methodology, a means to check to see whether or not stool has blood in it. Now, there may be tiny amounts of blood in the stool uh, as uh, cells die and they pass into the stool, but normally uh, stool does not have any detectable blood that's obvious in it. And the Guaiac test was an attempt to detect whether or not blood is appearing in the stool. Obviously, you can see blood if, uh, if you pass bright red blood, or black stool, or burgundy stool, but there can be blood in your stool, even though the stool may appear to be the regular color that it is. So the guaiac test was developed to detect the presence of blood in the stool. And that was back in the 1950s. And since that time, a number of other tests have been developed to detect whether or not there's something wrong in the colon or large intestine. Uh, the sigmoidoscopy was a test that was developed in the 1950s and 60s, where a tube was inserted in the rectum, went up a certain distance using light and fiber optics to try to look at the lining of the bowel. Uh, In the 1970s, the colonoscope was developed. This was a longer scope than the sigmoidoscope and looked at the entire large intestine. And so currently the colonoscopy or colonoscope is the standard of care to look at the colon and see if there's anything that's not right in the colon. And that's basically the standard of care in today's world in developed countries is a colonoscopy. And so over time, there have been different methodologies developed to try to refine colonoscopy, make it easier to have the doctor to do it, and also to reduce the uh, difficulty in preparing the colon for a colonoscopy. And any of the readership or any of the people listening in who's ever had a colonoscopy knows the fun, so to speak, of going to the bathroom the entire day before the procedure to clean out the five feet of your colon that you have to do to get cleaned out. When I was practicing, I was rather obsessed about the need to have a clean colon because if patients don't really spend time making sure that their bowel is thoroughly clean, and they come in to have the procedure done, a clean colon is a seen colon. So if the colon is not clean, and there's fecal material in the colon, the doctor doing the procedure cannot do a very good job. So it's extremely important for patients having the procedure done to invest their time and interest in making sure that they're as clean as they can be. Certain medications, antidepressants, uh, sedatives, tranquilizers, medications for psychiatric disorders, among other things. Certain blood pressure medications may affect the colon in terms of the ability of the bowel to work properly. And if patients are constipated, they need to tell that to the doctor before they have a colonoscopy. Most doctors, staffs will ask the patient, how often do you go to the bathroom? Do you have troubles moving your bowels before they schedule the colonoscopy? Colonoscopy used to be done when I first started as an inpatient in the hospital back around uh, 40 years ago, but now colonoscopy is done for the last 30 years as an outpatient. You uh, prepare at home. There's a list of uh, instructions given to you by the doctor's office. You clean yourself out, and then you have the procedure done. A colonoscopy usually takes between a half an hour to an hour. Uh, It's important, uh, and I can't emphasize this enough, that The colonoscopy done properly, Uh, we're not talking about a speed race here, Uh, yes, the doctor can do the procedure in 10 minutes, the question is, what will the doctor see? It's very important that the colon be looked at thoroughly and carefully, and the reason that the colonoscopy is being done is to look for abnormalities in the colon, and primarily looking for polyps, or if you wish, pimples that grow in the lining of the colon. And the idea of the colonoscopy is to look for these pimples and remove them. And so over the last 30 years, there are instruments that can fit through the scope that remove polyps. The polyps are removed by the doctor doing the procedure at the time the procedure is being done. Many years ago, uh, there would be separate occasions where the patient would have the procedure done and then perhaps come back to have the polyps removed. But now, over the last 30 years, if the doctor sees a polyp or several polyps, he or she will then remove the polyps, usually using loops and other instruments that fit through the scope, through the biopsy channel of the scope, and then loop around the uh, particular pimple and burn off or pinch off the tissue, collect it, and send it off to be analyzed. And that's what a colonoscopy consists of. It usually should take at least a good 20 minutes to half an hour to do, and I can't recommend enough that the procedure be done. It had been recommended in people starting at the age of 50, but over the last several years, it's been recommended because of the increased incidence of colon cancer in younger people at age 40, 45, and below 50, that colonoscopy be approved for all people beginning at the age of 45, and so many insurance companies are now allowing colonoscopy to be started uh, in terms of screening at that age. Whether or not you have polyps or not is the purpose of most colonoscopy, but not all. Colonoscopy for screening is for that purpose, but colonoscopy is being done for other reasons in other conditions, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, uh, and other conditions, uh, people who have a family history of colon cancer and a family member should have colonoscopy done, even if they themselves don't have any polyps or didn't have any in the past, they're still at risk for developing polyps in the future. So how frequent a colonoscopy should be, be, be done, it depends on the individual person, their family history, uh, if they've had colonoscopy before, what, have been found, what has been found, and that's discussed by the doctor and or an allied health professional in the office when the patient comes back to go over the result of the procedure. Does that answer your question?
1: Yes, that's answer my question. I think we have a caller, Dr. Mancus. on the, Do you, is there a caller on the line? Can you hear us? Is there a caller on the line? I think the person hang up. Um, Dr. Mancos, we're going to take a commercial break so that you could um, have a drink of water or something, mm-hmm. um, if that's okay with you. With me. And then I could go into some commercials. I welcome everyone on Iron Sharpener, all my listeners. Welcome to Iron Sharpener. If you're just logging in for the first time, we are live here with Dr. Mankash, board certified gastroenterologist. We thank God for his life. And he is going through the whole system of the body from the mouth all the way to the rectum and the complications and conditions versus medications. And we're just so happy for the, the knowledge that he has given unto us. If you're here logging on to Iron Sharpener for the first time, what is Iron Sharpener about? Iron Sharpener is a platform. We are here on YouTube. We are on LinkedIn. We are on Vimeo. And we are also on DFWIGospel.com platform. So if you, glory to God, want to know what this show is about? It's just a show that allows everyone, men, women, Give them an opportunity to come and share your story, share your business, your gift, your talents, what God has done for you. So we want to hear about your show. We want to hear about your business. Praise God. Praise God. You can email us on ironsharpener21 at gmail.com, ironsharpener21 at gmail.com. Or you could call us 518-703-8487, 518-703-8487, ironsharpener21 at gmail.com. We advertise businesses also on ironsharpener Events, special events. That is my engineer behind me, making sure everything is okay. I am shopperny21 at, at gmail.com, or you could call 518-703-8487, 518-703-8487. If you want to be a guest on the show, you could call us and let us know because you and I have gifts and talents that God and place inside of us. And we need to unpack and empower this generation with your story, with your testimony, with your gifting and your talents and your career. We want to hear all about it. Glory to God. There's a few businesses I want to announce. If you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area and you need an automobile, a used automobile, you want to contact GMD Automart, Auto GMD Automart. And the number is 678-751-1431, 678-751-1431, GMD Auto Mart, used cars are available, glory to God. If you are in the upstate New York area and you're looking for properties, you want to connect with Wynn Morrison Realty, all the way in Catskill New York, and you want to connect me, Sandra Buchanan, 518 267 9181. 518 267 9181. If you want to buy land to build new projects, if you want to sell your property, you want to buy commercial multi units, if you want to buy storage units, whatever way you want to invest, now is the time, it is a seller's market glory to God. So I will be your agent upstate New York, downstate New York, glory to God. You want to connect. Also, if you're in the upstate New York area and you need a seamstress, you want to connect with Lila Smith. She does dressmaking, tailoring, seamstress, you alter men and women clothing. She also do, um, Custom made. If you need have fabric, you want to make a fresh outfit, she does that. If you're out of state, you could ship your measurements and the fabric to her, she will get it done. Her name is Lila Smith and her number is 518-653-0600. Again, 518-653-0600. If you're looking for a caterer for Caribbean dishes, You want to connect with Caribbean Kitchen. And the number is 518-653-3764. 518-653-3764. Caribbean Kitchen. She does catering. If you're having a party or an event and you need some delicious Caribbean meals, you want to connect with Margaret Ryman at Caribbean Kitchen. If you need your car to be detailing... Like brand new, you want to connect with Dorian Ryman and Autorime Car Detailing. Autorime Car Detailing, and his number is 518-653-3764. If you need a tax preparer, it's tax time. You want to connect with Celia Graham in Hudson, New York, and her number is 518-821-5164. Again, 518 821 5164. Graham, tax preparer. Glory to God. If you're looking for a home church to go to in the Hudson, upstate New York area, and you don't have a place where you go for fellowship. You could fellowship with us at All Nations Church, Hudson, New York. It's at 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. 389 Fairview Avenue, Hudson, New York. And it's right in the Bagel Time Plaza on Fairview Avenue. Our worship time is 3 p.m. every Sunday. 3 p.m. every Sunday. And we have Bible studies every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. And we also have Bible studies every Thursday night at 7 p.m. So come and fellowship with us at All Nations Church. It is glorious. Glory to God. If you are in the Hudson, New York area and you're looking for a day spa, Serenity Wellness Center Day Spa, a spa like no other. Serenity Wellness Day Spa is also mobile. We could come to you for spa parties. You may looking for a gift to buy a loved one, a friend, a mother, father, a, whoever it is. We sell gift certificates. They're on sale for Father's Day, for Mother's Day, for Easter, for every occasion. Gift certificates are online at Serenity Wellness Center Day Again, Serenity Wellness Center Day A spa like no other. It's in Hudson, New York. Glory to God. And the website is www.serenitywellnesscenterdayspa.com. In a few days, this video will be on Facebook. It will also be on my page at www.ironsharpener.net. And you can, you will see the information for all these websites, for these businesses, special the spa website, glory to God. So that's what's happening on all these businesses. There are sponsors for iron sharpener. So if you want your business to advertise an iron sharpener, broadcast. Let us know and email us at ironsharpener21 at gmail.com, or you could call 518-703-8487. 518-703-8487. If you want to be a guest on the show, if you want to share your your talent, your gifting, glory to God. We are inviting everyone in this platform. Glory to God, because we sharpen one another. Iron sharpener, iron glory to god so we want to know about your business we want to hear a testimony we want to hear about your creativity your invention so that we could impact this generation glory to god we give god praise so we want to welcome back dr Mankash. glory to god he's a board certified retired physician gastroenterologist and we're so glad that he take time out of his busy schedule to share and empower and to impact us with his knowledge and his wisdom for over 40 years of medicine. And that's something to celebrate. We honor Dr. Mankesh. Glory to God. I just want to thank God for him.
0: Hello. are we live hi it's dr. Moncash again I don't know if we're uh, live on broadcast or not uh, I'll try to check that out um, I should mention some of the Medications that are uh, I forgot to mention earlier, besides Prilosec, in the group of drugs called the proton pump inhibitors that act to inhibit acid production by the stomach and are used to treat reflux disease. The others include Protonix or Pantoprazole, Nexium or S esop- Omeprazole, Asifex or Reprezole, Pravastatin or Lansoprazole, and Dexalant or Dex. Lansoprazole. So those are the group of drugs that are used to inhibit the production of acid by your stomach and are used to supposedly treat ulcer disease and reflux disease. So I was going to mention a couple of other items and going through the gastrointestinal tract. Let's talk about ulcers for a minute. So an ulcer is really defined as a break in the integrity of the lining of anything: the skin, the skin lining of the GI tract and other structures as well. Ulcer disease occurring in the human body in the GI tract usually involves either the esophagus, the stomach, or the small intestine, primarily the beginning of a small intestine called the duodenum. And so ulcer disease over the years has been refined and better understood as to why it occurs, what kind of people may have ulcers, and what are the manifestations of ulcer disease. So just to discuss that briefly, uh, ulcer disease uh, generally will present as abdominal pain. Uh, There may be gastrointestinal bleeding, in which there is blood in the stool. There may be nausea or vomiting as manifestations of ulcer disease. The causes of ulcer disease primarily are of two varieties. Number one is the presence of bacteria living in the gut called Helicobacter pylori. This bacteria was discovered in the 1980s, and it's believed that the presence of this bacteria may predispose to the development of ulcer disease because the presence of this bacteria may affect the production of acid by the normal stomach lining and perhaps too much acid is being made and this may uh, in the past have been a major factor contributing to the development of ulcer disease. So when a patient uh, is being evaluated for ulcer disease besides their symptoms, they often undergo endoscopy wherein a scope is inserted down the mouth into the stomach and duodenum. If ulcers are discovered. They may or may not have biopsies taken around the ulcer or in the lining of the stomach or duodenum to determine whether or not this bacteria helicobacter pylori is present or not. If it is present, there are regimens that are now developed to try to eradicate the bacteria. If the bacteria get eradicated, hopefully the ulcers will not come back. So that is one cause. The other cause of ulcer disease Uh, And a major cause is the presence of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or the arthritis drugs, Azel, Aleve, Motrin, Ibuprofen, uh, etc. of which there are many. These drugs disrupt the integrity of the GI tract and increase the likelihood of developing a break in the lining and allow ulcers to develop. If the ulcer, which is a crater, In the lining of the gastrointestinal tract has a blood vessel at the base or on the side then uh, bleeding may occur if that blood vessel integrity is disrupted and now blood is oozing out of that blood vessel into the ulcer and into the uh, organ that has the ulcer in it and the person may bleed they can vomit blood they can pass blood in their stool And this is something that needs generally to be treated fairly emergently, and patients often end up coming into the hospital, getting seen by a gastroenterologist and or surgeon, and then undergo a gastrointestinal procedure such as an endoscopy, also called esophagogastroduodenoscopy, where a scope is inserted through the mouth uh, with the patient sedated, and the food tube the stomach and duodenum are looked at and evaluated to see. If there is an ulcer, how many are there, how big they are, whether or not they're bleeding or not. There are mechanisms involved uh, in being able to treat ulcer disease. If an ulcer is bleeding, there are procedures involved that can prevent the ulcer from bleeding further by treating the ulcer, usually using electrosurgical treatment or clips which are placed in and around the ulcer to keep the ulcer from bleeding any further. And so that's an advance that's occurred over the last 20 to 25 years in the treatment of ulcer disease. Uh, and so I thought that would be worth discussing briefly. Then we have the issue of the liver. And the liver is an organ that sits underneath the right breast. Uh, it is a organ that does many, many things and the liver is, uh, you can't live with you cannot live without the liver. The liver is indispensable to life. And so uh, the liver plays a role in detoxifying drugs, the metabolism of bile, which is a substance that's made by the liver and passes in through vessels in the liver, stored in the gallbladder, and passes out from the gallbladder into the intestine. So the liver plays an important role in the metabolism and the production of and metabolism of bile. The liver also plays an important and indispensable role in the metabolism of fat, protein, and carbohydrates. The liver stores these substances and produces them, and it is essential that we know a little bit more about what the liver does. The understanding of the liver's uh, role in human health again continues to increase over time as we understand the importance of the liver and a number of people who are listening to this program may be aware of advertisements for trying to detoxify the liver and uh, try to clean up uh, the person's lifestyle and improve what they're eating uh, and uh, keeping their liver healthy. Uh, And apropos of that, uh, I think one of the major subjects in gastroenterology, which is becoming an increasing Issue and is going to increase over time is what's called non alcoholic fatty liver disease. So, when we think of the liver, and most people think of the liver, one thing that comes to mind is alcohol and alcoholism. We know that alcohol can affect the liver in a number of people. About 25 to 30 percent of people who drink significantly may develop cirrhosis, which is a scarring of the liver. Many people However, do not, even if they drink, they don't necessarily develop cirrhosis, but they can develop toxic effects of alcohol on the liver, fatty liver, which I'm going to discuss briefly, and other problems with the liver related to uh, inflammation of the liver is primarily a major effect of alcohol on the liver. So when alcohol is a toxin, affects the liver, it causes the liver to not function properly. Uh, And within the context of liver is fatty liver. So one um, cause is alcohol. But a more common cause nowadays is what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLD, or NAFLD. And over the last 30 years, the incidence of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease has skyrocketed throughout the developed world, And non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the number one liver disease in the world. It is responsible for the majority of people who have liver disease. And the potential for this condition worsening has increased as the epidemic of obesity has increased in the United States and other developed countries. More and more people are obese and are overweight. And there is a relationship of obesity and overweight to increase storage of fat in the liver. Uh, this may or may not manifest itself in symptoms, often fatty liver. There are no symptoms. The person not even aware that they have increased fat in the liver. So it's often picked up by imaging studies, such as an ultrasound or a CAT scan, which is done for other reasons. And then the report indicates when the radiologist looks at the studies that there's increased amount of fat in the liver in the past that used to be dismissed as being just something that was found but over the last 20 years the importance of impact of fatty liver on human health has increased to the point that now uh, the majority of people who have fatty liver need to be told about it and uh, need to have it addressed there is currently no cure for fatty liver in terms of a medication approved by the FDA for fatty liver however in the pop In the pipeline, there are a number of medicines that are being looked at to uh, treat fatty liver. Several drugs are candidates, but they have not yet been FDA approved. Fatty liver is a major uh, issue in human health in the United States and in Western Europe and continues to be a big problem. And Hopefully, uh, we will uh, develop appropriate treatments for this. Uh, with fatty liver, of course, is the whole issue of nutrition, which we could spend uh, many, many hours discussing. The role of nutrition in human health, the effect of various diets and human health are all important in understanding the human body. Uh, I would like to say, before I discuss that briefly, the importance of the whole organization, organization of the human body. The human body is one of the more complicated organisms in the world and like a business there are multiple layers of organization and hierarchy in the body we have cells the cells are uh, involved in the production or the formation of tissues the tissues are involved in organ structures so different organs are made up of tissues which are made up of cells so in order to understand this one would want to know about the structure of the body. How do these different cells interact with each other? How do the tissues interact with each other? And how do the organs interact with each other? And that's important in being able to uh, take care of people and also people understanding their own health. And the role of nutrition in human health has been increasingly appreciated over the last number of years. Many uh, patients will say, how come the doctor didn't discuss this with me? Well, I will say that over many years, the role of nutrition in the training of doctors has been poor, and many, many doctors really did not learn about nutritional issues. However, again, over the last decades, the role of the consumer and the public in general in wanting to know what to eat, what kind of foods are healthy, what kind of foods are not healthy, has been playing an important role in catalyzing the interest of the medical community, doctors, nurses, uh, and allied health professionals, in being able to further understand the role of nutrition in our health. And I, I am very happy about that. As I practiced gastroenterology and did many, many procedures and took care of a lot of people, my interest in nutrition increased, and I became increasingly fascinated by the foods that we eat, what foods may be good, what foods may not be good. And I recommend that the individual person look at their diet when they go to the supermarket look at what they're buying look at the ingredients of the food they're eating and ask themselves is this good for me and try to understand more about the kind of foods that are available and the impact of the food industry on what we eat i think that's essential because the food industry should be held to task about the foods that it's preparing for individuals to eat Uh, Most people eat based on what tastes good, but what tastes good may not be good for you. And it's important for an individual family, uh, a child, a parent, to learn more about nutrition because we are what we eat, and we have to understand that in terms of the way in which these nutritional substances play a role in our overall health. Uh, I'm going to mention that. I'm not, hearing you. Oh, hold on. Uh, I'm not hearing you, hold on, I'm not hearing you,
1: hold on, Dina, Dr. Mikesh,
0: oh, now I'm hearing you, okay. okay, good, we're back on, go
1: ahead, yeah, sorry about that, no problem,
0: so,
1: yeah, so nutrition plays a big part. What we, we are, what we eat.
0: That is correct. And I think that uh, one has to understand that the human body has all these relationships that we may or may not be aware of. Uh, the role of our genetics, what we were born with in terms of the genetic information we obtained from our parents. Uh, and the genetical, the genetics in terms of uh, family history with respect to parents, grandparents, what diseases are present? How people lived in the past? What they ate, and all that plays a role in our overall health. So, being bearing in mind nutrition and its relationship to other factors, including stress, the health of the gut, uh, and toxins that we're exposed to—soaps, uh, detergents, uh, and clean, cleaning things that we use to clean the home, etc. All these things to affect us, whether we are aware of them or not. So toxins, pesticides and the food that we eat, or the type of water we're drinking, where it's coming from. So I think an educated consumer is the best consumer. And for that, you have to, uh, to spend time investigating things. What am I eating? What am I drinking? Where is it coming from? And hold the people who are preparing this stuff up to task as to be able to answer concerns that you may have About the things that are going into your body Uh, and that's important
1: I agree I agree and nutrition is a very broad topic so we definitely want you back on iron sharpener so that we could go deep into nutrition because this is just the glimpse of it it's way deeper than this but it has a lot to do with our internal organs Absolutely. What we eat, what we put in in terms of GERD, you mentioned GERD and acid reflux. That's part of nutrition.
0: It is. And uh again, the human gut, uh, and the reason I was interested in it is it's the gateway by which the outside world enters in your body. So to understand the gut and how it plays a role in our general health, in our protection, how it affects us, how we affect it, to me has been fascinating. From the get-go and it's why i went into this particular field i think that when a young gastroenterologist comes out they're interested in procedures and they want to be able to do them endoscopy colonoscopy and much more advanced procedures than those but with time my interest turned toward nutrition because i wanted to know why people are sick what is it about uh, and what in particular if you are what you eat, what kind of foods are we eating that may predispose or protect us with respect to uh, human disease? And that's where my interests evolved. Uh, and when patients would come to see me, uh, they would often be advised by me about those particular subjects, whether it be what you can do to prevent pulps, what you can do to help with fatty liver, etc. I would try to discuss that because to me, The essential portion of a visit with a doctor is to go over relevant issues. uh, Going into great detail about specific issues with respect to determining uh, a certain type of uh, tissue structure may or may not be of interest to the patient. But knowing about general things regarding well-being, what should I eat, Uh, should I exercise, how much exercise should I do, should I drink alcohol? Uh, my level of physical activity, uh, the role of heredity, should I be going for genetic testing, et cetera. These are issues that I think the physician should discuss in detail with the patient and may require more than one visit. And, of course, in today's world, uh, visits are all, uh, if you wish, timed. Uh, The doctor doesn't necessarily have the time to go into great detail unless they are exceptional, to discuss these issues with the patient at one given session and may require repeated visits and education. Uh, the patient is responsible for his or her own health. And that's an important uh, concept, is that if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will take care of you. And that's an important thing to uh, communicate with patients.
1: That's awesome. Self-care is very important. Yes, and the, self-awareness. Self-awareness and Correct. especially when we are past uh 30 i would say, and up when our metabolism begin to slow down that plays a part of how we process foods as well
0: absolutely i think it's important that we stay on top of things uh that we challenge ourselves to be the best we can be uh you know we're, we're born We have a body that has been given to us, that we're in, that we're living in, and we want to protect that body. We want to conserve that body. We want to preserve that body, and we want to do everything we can to maximize our well-being, and that requires uh, respect, preservation, and education.
1: Elsan, can you go a little bit into rectal issues and hemorrhoids and cancer screening?
0: uh, You know, The rectum is the last... Uh, eight inches of the colon, which is, as I said, five feet long. And the rectum uh, is the part of the uh, colon that comes down to your anal area, which is the exit of the uh, fecal material when it passes out when you go to the bathroom. So as it turns out, uh, what should be easy is not easy. And many people end up with anal rectal issues, uh, issues that have to do with the passage of stool, Some people have trouble going to the bathroom, constipation issues. Some people have the opposite. They go to the bathroom more than they would like. Uh, The rectum is the place where the stool uh, comes out. And so there are mechanisms involved in being able to allow that to happen. Uh, There are structures in the rectum that help to keep the stool in place. And there's also structures in the rectum that allow the stool to come out. Uh, There are blood vessels in and around the anal area, which is the end of the rectum. Uh, These blood vessels are there to act to, if you wish, cool the blood down because they're close to the body's surface. So hemorrhoids, as an example, are swellings of a complex network of arteries and veins that exist in the anus and rectum of every individual. And hemorrhoids occur when uh, a number of factors play a role in the development of swelling of these artery vein networks that swell, and uh, one person a person can get itching, or that person can get pain, person can get bleeding, etc. So, hemorrhoids are a big topic, and many people throughout their lives develop hemorrhoidal issues. And uh, I hope that kind of gives you an overview of hemorrhoids, and then. Uh, Fissures or cracks in the anal skin usually manifesting themselves in the form of pain on defecation. The person sits down and tries to go to the bathroom, and they have intense pain in the anal area when they try to go, they may pass blood. So it's fissures, fistulas, or abnormal communications that exist between one part of the body and another. Some patients with certain kinds of uh, conditions of inflammation, in the body, such as Crohn's disease, uh, and uh abscesses of the anal rectal area, fistulas can develop, and now discharge of pus and other material can come out of the anal area. So those are overall views. There are means to diagnose these things, usually involving uh, visualizing the rectum, putting scopes in, anoscope, sigmoidoscope, colonoscope, and looking in, doing a digital rectal exam. So every adult should have a rectal exam done, uh, by their doctor or their healthcare provider to feel the rectum, feel the lining. You may not see hemorrhoids, but you won't be seeing hemorrhoids on the internal hemorrhoids because they're not visible to the naked eye. The only hemorrhoids that you can see are external hemorrhoids, which appear as swellings, may be colored or not, on when you open and inspect the anus. So there are different types of hemorrhoids. Uh, the causes of these hemorrhoids are variable, and so uh, anal rectal issues are are big uh, big subjects, and uh, many patients suffer because of them. And I don't think the average gastroenterologist spends enough time going over details about that with respect to nutrition, diet, uh, what you call hygiene of the anal rectum. How do you go to the bathroom? Uh, how often do you go? How? clean are you when you go? What do you do to protect yourself uh, when you go to the bathroom? Are you straining? Are you uh, uh, not eating enough fiber? Fiber plays a major role in allowing uh, fecal material to pass through the colon uh, readily. So those are some issues that are raised. Uh, so the anal area is a very important part of human health and many patients come to doctors and people in the medical field because of their anal rectal issues
1: yes and what about the color of your stool i imagine Well, as i uh, said
0: the majority of people the stool uh color is usually brown uh blood can be in the stool even though it appears brown a black stool can be black if you eat certain things for example uh, if you um take iron pills your stool may turn black pepto which people take for digestive issues, will turn your stool black. That's the bismuth in the pepto-bismol. Uh, if you eat beets, beets will turn your stools burgundy, potentially. So the color of the stools, if stools are white or clay-colored, as they're called, yeah, that can be a sign of problems with the bile tract and the bile ducts uh, or the liver. So uh, uh, some people look at their stool, some people don't look at their stool
1: yeah that's true it's so awesome but well, we are on iron sharpener glory to god i just thank god for dr mancash it's an honor to have him board certified over 40 years of training and working we celebrate you man of god we celebrate I, I, you
0: I appreciate your allowing me to be on the program, and I hope I can be welcomed back. Uh, I, I kept this a relatively more of a lecture than I did interactive because allowing you, of course, to ask me questions. Because I, I medically, legally, I cannot answer individual concerns by a given person regarding their issues because it creates medical legal problems. But I can address general questions in the future uh regarding the subject uh when and if i'm invited back
1: yes that's perfectly fine you were do you're wonderful you did great i know my listeners from all these different platforms enjoy your show it's very informative informative educational and it's all about health because we do need to take care of ourselves our bodies and if we don't who's going to do it See, uh, so i just want to honor you well, thank, thank you. you for serving in this thank community you, yeah. columbia county upstate new york we just want to just thank you so much for your years well, of service
0: well, thank you i i will say you might remember there was a uh, advertisement for the united legal college fund that said the mind is a terrible thing to waste so referring back to that the human body is a terrible thing to abuse and waste we're given a body and we should do everything we can to preserve it and take care of it. And by increasing consciousness on the part of individuals regarding the preservation of and respect for the various structures and functions of the body, this will improve people's overall health for themselves, their children, and will help better take care of themselves. As uh, Cy Sims said from Sims, which used to be a a, uh, clothing store, a, uh, a well-informed consumer is the best consumer. So we want to we want to educate ourselves, and we we need the various uh, means to do that: uh, the media, uh, television, uh, advertisements. But more important is studying, reading materials about uh, nutrition, about health, what we can do to improve and challenge ourselves to do the best job we can to preserve the beautiful body that we've been given.
1: Awesome. Glory to God. Um I agree 100%. I will have you back on the show soon because there's so much to talk about. Now, also I, I, I also so quickly you you have you have a jazz. Yeah, I was going to, is jazz. I
0: was going to interject just a second. One of my hobbies besides taking care of people like enjoy is jazz, which is an important part of my life, uh, jazz music. So I will say that for those of you who happen to come to my office over the years, you may have seen photographs of jazz musicians, which I've collected for the last 35 years. And when I retired uh, within the last two years, I decided to challenge myself to stay active and involved. And I have now taken these photographs, which I've collected, and I'm going to be showing them in an exhibit, at the Claverick Library. The name of the exhibit is called The Jazz I Saw, and it will be opening at the Claverick Library in Claverick, New York on Saturday, March 26th, running till May 7th, 2022. We have several concerts coming up. If you go to the website www.clovericklibrary.org, you can uh, find out more about this particular exhibit. Over 45 pictures. 50 pictures will be shown by great jazz musicians john coltrane felonius monk sonny rollins several of whom i took care of in my past life and uh i have a number of autographed pictures personally autographed i actually have a composition that was recorded by andrew hill the pianist that was named for me uh and will be included in a walkthrough program featuring audio video performances by a number of musicians whose pictures will be shown at this exhibit. I do hope that people will come by and um, come and enjoy the beautiful music of jazz and the people who produced it. Uh, I think it will be something that people will enjoy. It's fun, it's educational, and stimulating and inspirational. I do hope that people will show up.
1: Can you remind us of the dates again
0: and the time? Saturday, March the 26th. Uh, from 10 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon, that's the opening to show. There is a concert featuring uh, a uh, tribute to an individual who gave their piano that day. So it's a bit short from 10 to 2. Uh, and it runs until Saturday, May 7th. Uh, and that, so it's a six week exhibit called The Jazz I Saw, uh, which will feature uh, two jazz concerts a piano trio on April 24th with Armand Arnelian, a Hudson resident, a teacher, Fulbright scholar, and his trio, including Jay Anderson on the bass, and Dennis Mackerel on the drums. That will be Saturday, uh, Sunday, April 24th at 4 p.m. There's a charge of $10 for that. In addition, there's the jazz uh, bard vocal ensemble, which will produce a concert on April the 10th which is, I think, a uh, Sunday. If I co- if I'm correct, uh, it is a Sunday, and that will be at two o'clock in the afternoon. There'll also be several jazz films that are going to be shown as well. Uh, we hope to have some dignitaries come to visit and look at the show. But most important, we don't, just don't have to see people, their kids, to come and enjoy the wonderful music that's been created in this country. Uh, through the African American tradition and many, many other cultures and ethnic groups have been involved in the creation of and the production of and the continued growth of jazz music in America. We is there a
1: website have, or a phone number where we could advertise
0: for uh, the a, the phone number for the for the um uh for the uh, library is five one eight
1: yes
0: eight five one let me get the rest bear with me a second here uh I just have to confirm that. Uh, Let's see. 851 7120. So it's the Claverick Library in Claverick, New York. Uh, And uh, the phone number is 518 851 7120. And uh, there will be uh, someone to answer the phone in the normal business hours that the library is open. Uh, And those hours are Monday 12 to 7, Tuesday 10 to 3, Wednesday 12 to 7, Thursday 10 to 3, Friday 12 to 5, Saturday 10 to 2. It is closed on Sunday. So that's the program, the jazz I saw featuring about 40 photographs of world-famous jazz musicians taken by top photographers in the world of jazz photography which I've collected over the years. And I think people will love it. It's a beautiful program uh, and I think they'll enjoy it. And they can see these performances on their, on their mobile phone when they come uh, through QR technology. You can actually watch while you're going through the show at the library and you can watch audio video performances by some of these musicians over time.
1: Awesome, thank you so much. And if you do have a business card or a flyer I could take it from you later, and I will I announce. Will, I it. will.
0: I will email you the flyer. But if people pass through Cloverick, uh, I'm going to be putting up posters of this show in various locations throughout the county, and I'm hoping that people will see it and come by. It's a wonderful thing for children to see, uh, particularly children of color to see the remarkable legacy of jazz music produced. Uh, primarily by African American people over close to 100 years of this beautiful music that's inclusive, incorporates many different styles and many different cultures in the growth of this beautiful music that takes more and more types of music in and produces something culturally beautiful for everybody, no matter what your background is or what other kind of music you like, there's always something in jazz that will give you enjoyment.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, sir. And you once are. again, we just want to thank you for a lot. Many I, thanks I for I'd being like to being our guests at Iron Sharpener, and we would love to have you back. I'm getting feedback already that they enjoyed the show. Well, I'm glad. I hope
0: that I've given some information to people. It's a general topic, and I did not go into specifics about everything because you could spend my entire lifetime going over the gut but there's a lot of stuff to learn. Most important, respect yourself, respect your body, treat your body with respect, like a good garden. You want flowers and not weeds. Then you have to do everything necessary to allow those flowers to grow. And you have to be careful with what you put in your body. What am I eating? How am I living? How am I sleeping? Okay. Uh, Am I taking medications? Do I need those medications? What are they doing to me? You have to ask questions. And you have to challenge the people who are taking care of you to answer those questions. So, an informed consumer is the best consumer.
1: Thank you so much. We just want to applaud you right now. We honor you and we use a service. Thank you so much. We're going to go into commercial break. Thank you, ben. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Iron Sharpener Broadcast. We are here live on YouTube and Vimeo um, and ironsharpener.net. We are also live and DFWI Gospel Radio. We are live and we are just getting, our calls are being enlarged. If you're here for the first time listening to my voice, welcome to Iron Sharpener Broadcasts. And what is Iron Sharpener about? Iron Sharpener is a platform that God has given us to empower our generation. You may have a gift or a talent inside of you that you want the world to know about, a new invention, something that you want to let the world know. I don't know what it is that God has placed inside of you, but we want to hear about it. This is a chance to be on Iron Sharpener, to share and to impart what God of place inside of you? Our number is 518-703-8487, 518-703-8487. You could also email us at ironsharpener21 at gmail.com, ironsharpener21 at gmail.com. We just had a great interview with Dr. Jeff Moncash from upstate New York, Columbia County, retired, over 40 years of service, board certified surgeon glory to god and he went a uh, general overview of the entire body glory to god and the systems for your digestive your gastrointestinal digestive organs <laughs> glory to god the conditions the complications our nutrition affect your health and everything i mean it was powerful so this, will, this video will be on YouTube. It will be on Vimeo. It will be on Facebook. It will be on Blueberry Podcast so that you could go back and watch and uh, get educated. Stay tuned. We will be here. Live. We are here live every week on Iron Sharpener. Glory to God. And we have different guests here to impact and empower you. So thank you for listening to us on dfwigospel.com. Thank you for watching us on YouTube and Vimeo and LinkedIn and all these platforms. Have a blessed and great afternoon. Goodbye.